On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Brian Mazeski, and we are going to be talking about the concept of leadership and leading from where you are and the importance of that, not only in your role. Uh, Brian is a cl- athletic trainer at Georgia Southern working in the collegiate setting, but also looking at it in terms of getting into state service or district or national service and the impact that you can have and the leadership you can bring, even if you aren't in a president's role or a director's role or anything uh, that comes along with some of those titles, you really can have a huge impact with leadership and being of impact and a force of what you want to do from where you are. So we get deep into that, what that means, how Brian has done that throughout his career and how he continues to drive that forward. So really uh, a great conversation around some leadership topics and really moving everything forward within the profession and continuing to advance. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please check them out for all your sports medicine needs. They partnered up with us on our Throw a Lifeline program. Uh, We're getting some good income coming from you guys listening to the ads on these podcasts. Those all go 100% to um, making sure that we're filling those orders as fast as we can, and we hope to create more. So we look forward to continuing to push out there, and we appreciate you listening for that reason, um, as well as hopefully providing something useful back to you. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode. episode of athletic training chat today we are on with brian Hiseski, uh who is an athletic trainer uh, and we are going to talk about a lot of things around leadership and making kind of really talking about um that leadership isn't a position and everybody has the ability to be a leader i think it's kind of the main theme which is going to be one i'm very passionate about and i really am looking forward to hearing your insight but before we jump into all of that um, I just wanted to um, toss it over to you and f- have you fill in your background kind of on everything that you've done and kind of wh- how you got to where you are. And then we'll jump into a lot of these leadership topics. Sounds good. Thanks, Joel. First, again, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about this with you. Uh, just give you a little bit of background on me. Uh, I'm originally from New Jersey. I graduated from Kane University in 2014. Uh, from there, I did an internship at the Wide World of Sports down with Disney in Orlando. Got to work with a lot of really cool different events and populations down there. So that was a good eye-opening experience. From there, I started a master's program with an MS in kinesiology from Georgia Southern. Uh, and everything kind of aligned itself up just within my life. And when I finished my master's program, we had three positions open up and I was able to be hired on full-time. So I'm now in my eighth year overall at Georgia Southern. Uh, nice. Georgia sports from softball baseball track and field uh i mean you name it i've probably worked with it i think i was counting the other day there's only three sports or four sports we have 17 that i haven't worked with on a consistent basis at some point in time um and then on top of that with my role as an athletic trainer you know with men's tennis and men's soccer also handle all of our athletic related medical bills so anything or anytime our student athlete goes to a doctor's appointment those bills come across my desk to figure out sort and pay. So that's kind of that's kind of where we're at nowadays. Yeah, that that adds just a little bit to the uh, plate there uh, in terms of getting um, your daily work done. I can only imagine. Um, first kind of one is you know leadership is a huge concept um, and is commonly associated with a position, a title, um, whatever it may be, but. One of the topics we were talking about is how do you lead when you're not in charge? And I say that kind of in quotes or in that position of authority. So if you're, depending on where you're at, the, you know, people, how they feel about it. If you're a staff athletic trainer or an assistant athletic trainer and not necessarily the director or the head or whatever the other title may be, you know, where do you see how that all fits in? Well, I think first and foremost, 
you know, everyone, I think there's a common association with the leader is the person in charge, right? And it has to be this director or the person overseeing everything. But when you think about it, leadership is not a title. It is a characteristic that each and every one of us have within ourselves. And it's how we develop that and how we implement that just in our daily lives. So not even just within athletic training or within whatever profession people work. I mean, it's a characteristic that each and every person has that we have to develop in order to be a successful leader. I think a lot of times people sit back and say, oh, one day when I become the leader, I'll have all these leadership characteristics and abilities. But if you wait until you're in charge to start acting like a leader, you've really missed the boat because now you're going to get into it and be overwhelmed with all of these things that you have not had to do before or had not have to oversee. And now you're being thrust into it. So when you look at it, I think every person has that ability to lead and be a leader within their daily life. I mean, I look at myself, and again, I've been here eight years. I've tried to take on a lot of responsibility. I've tried to, you know, help our department in whatever way we can when we're short staff members, when we're needing to cover things, when somebody's got to stay late for something because somebody else has a, a conflict. But even within our families, like I'm a father, I've got two children. So just within that aspect, I have an obligation and a responsibility to lead my children. So I think it all comes to crossover where it's not just a title. It's a characteristic that we have in which we have to be continually growing and developing to ultimately express that, to influence others, to make sure we're bringing others along with us and not just, well, you do this, you do this, you do this. You have to be setting that example. And by setting that example, I mean, there's, there's the old saying, you know, never say it's not my job, right? Like if it falls within something that is purview to what you're doing, ultimately it may not be your direct responsibility, but if you see that there's something that needs to be done, the leader isn't just going to sit back and say, well, someone else is going to do it. You're going to take that initiative to go do that little thing and get it done because it's for the greater benefit, it's for the greater good of what you're trying to achieve collectively as a whole. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, one I always come back to, and I wish I would have said this once on a job interview, because uh, I was looking at a role where I was, I was coming from kind of that title position of leader and going in, applying for a role where I, where I would not have been. I would have been working under, if you will, someone. But this kind of first follower principle or concept, uh, I think it was Derek Sivers that brought it up, of like, you don't have to necessarily be the leader, but man, you can do a whole lot in terms of where you're at within that. And even for some people, you know, uh, the Peter principle of, you know, not getting promoted outside of your comfort level, you don't have to have that position of authority to be that leader because getting that position of authority may end up being the worst thing for you because that's not what you truly wanted to do or where you could have your most influence. And I, I think when you look at it, like collectively, again, the influence that we're able to have with our patient populations, with the people that we work with. I mean, what other profession do you get to have daily interaction with your patients? I right. mean, we, as athletic trainers, we see them through the good, the bad, the ugly, the high moments, the low moments. We see them when they're on their peaks and in their valleys, and we're there to help them through all of that. And I mean, you can say, oh, I'm not the leader. This isn't my place. But when you look at it and you have that relationship with your patient or your student athlete, whatever population you're working with, or with your coworkers as well, I mean, you can develop those relationships. And then now you're starting to influence others. You're helping them get through challenging situations. You're giving or offering advice or comfort when there's a difficult situation that may be outside of what they're doing, but they're coming to you because of that relationship and that trust that we've been able to build. And right. I think like, if you look at it, that is where, if you're not in charge, where we have the biggest opportunity to influence for positive things and working with our patient population, helping them through and seeing them succeed is ultimately what leadership is. We want them to be the best person that they can be on and off the field or out of work, whatever the case may be. We want them to be successful. 
So being able to influence them and help guide them in the right direction or get them the exercises or the correct doctor that they need to see in order to get to that next step, like we're able to influence on a daily basis. And it's such a rewarding feeling. Let me agree with you more. Still on the leadership topic, but also looking at the kind of the different service levels um, in the, within the AT profession. I've had some, you know, there's been some other conversation about that. You know, there's a difference between, you know, volunteerism and getting into those roles and then, you know, truly, you know, leadership within those roles that sometimes just volunteering your way through doesn't necessarily correlate with them, but definitely people in those roles which are voluntary in almost all of them until you get up pretty high um, are leaders trying to make those happen. Where do you, how do you view the leadership in trying to get into those state district national levels? Like again, when I said earlier, leadership is a characteristic and we have to continually develop it. If you're not in a position or a title position where you're overseeing people, how can you grow? How can you continue to grow yourself? Right. And one of those ways is by volunteering your time because you may not have the ability for that room to growth or room for growth, whatever institution or place of work you're at. So how can you develop yourself into, how can you get these leadership characteristics? How can you be exposed to these different things? And right off the bat, I think as athletic trainers, we have a plethora of opportunities at all dis different levels and districts to volunteer our time, to continue to grow ourselves, while also gaining valuable leadership experience that we can take, whether that's to the district level, the national level, or just to our next job. And so when you look at it, there are, there are opportunities at every level, the state level, the district level, the national level. And getting into that, I think sometimes can be a little bit scary or a little bit apprehensive because people view it as, oh, it's just another thing that I'm gonna have to do. It's just another meeting or this is what, but if you're truly looking to grow yourself, you're going to wanna put yourself into situations that will make you uncomfortable or will make you do a little bit extra because that's the only way you grow in the uncomfortable situations. You don't grow in the comfort of what you're doing. And so in order to do that, I think it really takes people getting involved at those state, district, and national levels to grow themselves a little bit more. And then if you think about it, there is, you're now helping the profession of athletic training grow and influence across the state, across the districts, and across the nation to promote what we as athletic trainers can do, what we're able to achieve, what we're trained to do the knowledge that we have. like So getting involved is a way to not only support the state district or the national level, but continue to grow yourself. You kind of touched on this and uh, from having some more insight, I'm in my second year of service out on our state level, um, seemingly running unopposed for the treasurer role. So I think that'll continue for a few more years here. Uh, but that was also kind of an interesting thing. You know, how do you, should people get involved? I think it's becoming more pressing, at least I know from my experience in our state, I don't know how things are in Georgia um, and your involvement with anything stayed there, but we're desperate for committee members, you know, and initiatives for to people take on and, you know, with NATA membership maybe decreasing a little bit and which is obviously then trickles down to the state level. There's opportunities for people that want to get involved and make a difference and, if you, you can bring a lot of value, at least in, our, again, if you're listening in Wisconsin, let us know. We're happy to have you. Um, but what have you seen in getting involved? I know for me personally, I ran into, I submitted an email, didn't hear anything back. Finally, I was like, oh, I should submit again. And apparently it got lost in the shuffle along the way. So it wasn't that I, and nobody wanted to hear from me. It just happened that it didn't work out. So thankfully I followed up and that was what spurred it. And now it's been kind of snowballing from there. But what, advice would you have tips ideas or from your own experiences well so for myself personally so i serve as the co-chair of the CETA district nine marketing and communications committee okay and so i've been in this role officially since october unofficially since july sure um, 
Before that, I served as the marketing collaterals coordinator, so just one tier below that co-chair position uh, for about a year and a half, two years before making the jump up. But up until that point, like, I'm going to be honest, I really had no interest or no expectation of wanting to do anything at the state, district, or national level. Like, it was just an afterthought. I was focused on my work. I just had a newborn baby. Like, like all of these things in life are happening, and I wasn't too concerned with it. Um, it wasn't until I sat down and had started having more conversations with my boss about leadership opportunities and ways to develop where I started looking at all of this. And it really just starts by, by doing a Google search. I mean, go to your state website, see what committees are there. Look at CETA look, or look at your district website and say, okay, these are all the committees. Go to NATA, go to gather. There's a listing of all of the different NATA positions that are available. And so like right off the bat, that's your starting point. You have all of these just open positions that need to be filled. But within that, if there is a specific committee that may not be open, but you're interested in, I mean, email your state president, email your state vice president, email your district director, email your district president. Like all of these things are easy ways that you can just get your foot in the door. And I, I won't lie, my first year and a half as marketing collaterals coordinator, my role was to create paper marketing in an electronic world. So I, I really, I really didn't do a whole lot. And I did feel kind of undervalued or under sure. what I was doing. Um, and so since taking over as chair, we've done a little bit of reshuffling, trying to see how we can make the different coordinator positions more valuable, take load off of one so it's not heavy in one area and light in the other. But again, I wouldn't have been able to do that had I never looked and said, look at this opportunity. I think I would like to do this. And then putting my foot in the door, talking to a few different people, putting in a, a Google form application, and then being contacted and say, hey, we'd like you to be our marketing collaterals coordinator. And three years later, now I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but with work and persistency and trying to grow myself to help the district level, which ultimately helps basically just promote the state level. Mm -hmm. um, I've been able to take that and grow from this, like, but it didn't come, it didn't come easy. Like I had for, for close to six months, it was me on the committee. I was the committee. Yep. So I'm doing the social, the digital and the paper. There wasn't a whole lot of paper, but I was doing that too. Thankfully. Um, but so it took six months to get a full committee. And that was with, talking to people on the street in NATA. Hey, would you like to be a, a member of the committee? Right. Like it, I was literally asking everybody that I could if they wanted to be a member of this committee. And people were just saying no. And I don't know. My feeling is that the hesitation, like I mentioned earlier, is, oh, it's just another thing that I have to do or it's another time commitment, Right. And when we think about it, there are a lot more younger athletic trainers than there are older athletic trainers, right? And I'm sure there's somewhere in the middle. But if we want to see change, we're going to need the younger athletic trainers to step up. They're going to need to get involved because in five to 10 years, those older athletic trainers will have either moved on or retired or just gone and done something else. And so we're going to need people with the initiative and drive to want to make a change. People always say, what does the NATA do for me? That's why I'm not a member. Like, what are they doing? Well, what are you doing to support the state, district, and national level? How are you getting involved? What change are you trying to make? We can all make our own individual change and influence in our specific area but if we want to see a large scale change it's going to take a large scale initiative from a younger population yeah i think that's such a big thing about being persist persistent even just like you said just getting started that was kind of my impetus to getting started is let's start at the state level probably the lowest barrier to entry at least start getting a feel for how things work 
you know, with then slowly finding ways to get more involved, you know, at regional and then eventually, you know, to the national level, um, just kind of taking that stepwise process for me, at least, to just really feel comfortable as it's going, figure out, you know, time commitments um, and everything like that. But yeah, just to help figure out if, you know, I'm wanting to see some change or those things, like, got to put my foot in the ring to kind of get start start that process. Yeah. Other than speaking with handing out dollars. And that's the thing, like, I think there's just such a barrier to it because people see it as, oh, well, the same people are always doing it. I'm not going to get it. I can't get involved. I can't make a change. But those are the people like you see. This is all Twitter. We saw we see Twitter every day. There are people on Twitter who are positively making a change and looking for a change. But they're also looking for the NATA to do something for them. Those are the people that we need to get into the states, into the districts. Yep. Because they're going to be the large scale boots on the ground that are going to make the change. And the NATA can only do so much for us. We have to be willing to put in the work to support what they're doing. How do right. we do that? Volunteer, volunteer your time, volunteer your efforts. Volunteer money. And I mean, I'm not telling everyone to donate, but that is another option if you don't want to volunteer time. Like, how are you supporting the group that's trying to support you? It can't always just be one-sided. For sure. Kind of shifting a little bit. Um, one that I'm very curious on your take is, you know, continuing to grow as a leader and then self-motivation. Uh Totally agree with both of them. I just, I know for myself, motivation can be sporadic and at times fleeting. <laughs> um, you mentioned, you know, two kids, I believe. I also have two. Um, very, they're both under three. So, you know, life is busy. Um, I don't cover sports anymore. So I don't have um, quite the sporadic schedule that you probably still do. Um, but how do you continue to grow and develop? You already mentioned a little bit by, you know, getting yourself involved in these different positions, but growing as a leader and how that motivate that self-motivation play a role. Well, I think the first thing you have to do is be able to identify where your areas of weakness are. Right. And we can, our self-motivation to continue to grow, we can grow in the areas we're strong. But if we don't identify what we're weak in, are we really going to get better collectively as a whole or just that small little piece of the pie? So being able to honestly reflect and say, okay, I know I'm weak in this area. What can I do to fix that? Talk to people, get their input on what you can do to get better. I mean, we have to be able to take constructive criticism in order to grow. And that constructive criticism can be used as a motivator. Or you look at it and say, I want to be in this position in five years. Well, what are the steps that I have to be able to hit to get to this position? Am I going to do the little things? Am I going to do the things that require me to stay a little bit later or the things that require me to get my stuff done in a timely fashion? I'm not just going to mess around and color a picture. I had did color in an ATA month picture today. It's a very slow day, guys. Um <laughs> But again, you got to do what you got to do at times as well, just to decompress. So we're glad you got one in. Agreed. And so, but that's the thing, like you have to be able to self-reflect. You have to be able to take that criticism to find your area of weakness. We all know what we're strong in. That's probably the easiest question to answer when somebody says, what are your strengths? But when somebody says, what are your weaknesses? You have to be able to self-reflect honestly and say, I know I'm weak here. Criticism that I have received in the past is I have a tendency to want to take on more than I could probably do. Sure. So when I sit down and I think, you know, I've got, I've got colleagues who are on the NATA foundation and in the state levels and I, they have positions open. My first thought is like, Ooh, I want to do this. Like I want, I want to get involved. I want to be, I want to be more active. I want to help where I can. But then I also sit back and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit right now with all the time commitments that we have with what I'm currently working with. While I would love to get involved, maybe this is just not the right time. And so being able to reflect and say, I know where I'm weak and that being one of my weaknesses and then not put that additional stuff on my plate 
because of the responsibilities that I have at work to my current professional development opportunities outside of my job and then also my family. Um, and then once you find that area of weakness, what are you doing to grow it or make that a strength? What are you doing? How are you changing what you're doing? One of my other weaknesses would always be texting, you know, work-related things when I got home. Mm -hmm. And so that took uh, an open conversation to say, look, you're at work for 12 hours a day. Like when you get home, I would really like it if you just didn't text for work. So we came to a compromise where it was, okay, I'll look at the messages, screen them and say, I'm not going to reply to this. This does not require an answer. But if it does, then I have a little bit of flexibility and leeway. But that is another way where I looked at a weakness, got some honest feedback from family, and then had to implement something where I could still do my have my responsibilities, but also be present at home. And again, just trying to be open to that, to find how to make your strengths weaknesses is probably my greatest motivation because I want to do all this stuff, but I just don't have the time to do it. Fair enough. In terms of, you know, the criticism, you know, that you're looking for to try and help build and grow on, what have you found to be effective in getting people to solicit that to you? Um, you, just, you referenced, you know, the conversation you had at home, you know, about texting off of work hours, but, you know, your you probably do a review with your boss and there's, you know, criticism or feedback, you know, however we, you know, want to contextualize it but are there other ways because often that can be hard for colleagues even um or people that if you if you work with students or younger um professionals that you ask for them they may not want to give that to you for just the awkwardness of giving criticism most people don't tend to enjoy doing that um to people especially that they potentially really like working with have you, have you found a way that you've elicited that to help reflect and then also making sure you're balancing that with not taking it so personally that it ultimately could slow you down um, or really make you second guess everything? Well, I think first and foremost, when you, when you ask, I think you have to ask because no, I don't think anyone willingly offers up constructive criticism all the time. And I think our natural instinct is to think that constructive criticism is just negative criticism. So I think you want, if you're going to ask for constructive criticism, you've got to go into that understanding you're going to get criticized. You're not going to go into it and be praised when you're asking them to tell you what's wrong. Sure. And I think we all want to be told, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep up everything you're doing. But are we getting better? Is everything I'm doing right? I need someone to check it. There's a checks and balance system for a reason. So I think when you have to develop those relationships, if I'm asking a coworker, hey, what's wrong now? What can I do better? I'm not just asking somebody who I've never interacted with. That's a person who I'm going to go to them. I'm going to trust what they say, that they're not trying to hurt me. They're trying to make me better. Um, in the same way with that, I also think it's important for athletic trainers or just people in general to have a mentor, right? We, I need someone who doesn't know just my day-to-day. -day. I need someone who's going to give it to me straight. If I call and say, this is the situation, what am I supposed to do here? They're going to give it to me straight. I, want, I don't want them to beat around the bush. I'm not calling them to beat around the bush. I would like them to just tell me straight over the phone what I need to do, what I need to fix. Am I just messing something up? Am I overthinking? Am I missing something? Like that's why having that mentor who's going to give you the straight information is going to put you in the right position. But again, we can't take that personally that, oh, I've done the wrong thing. I'm asking for it. I need to know. Um, and so I think when you start thinking of mentors asking for criticism, we're going to get criticized in everything we do. Whether it's we do we do stim on somebody's back, well, that didn't make it better, but it made somebody else's back better. We're never going to be able to make everyone happy. So somewhere, shape, or form, we're going to get criticized. But being able to accept the criticism, 
reflect on it, identify what you need to do to fix it, and then learn to grow from it. I think all comes full circle into this growing into a leader. Um, Perfect. I like it. Uh, we kind of covered a lot just there on leadership and kind of growing. Anything else that we didn't cover that you want to touch on before we jump into the AT chat questions? Uh, no, I think I think we talked about all the all the things that we you know we said we were going to talk about. Uh, the I guess the big things that I just like to really hit on before we move into those is again. Yeah, absolutely. If, for anyone listening to this, get involved like get involved in some way shape or form that doesn't have to be at the state district or national level but make sure you're making the most of your opportunities now when you're not in that position of leadership so you're growing yourself when you get into it you're not overwhelmed because every day we have the opportunity to lead the opportunity to lead someone a child a friend a family member a coworker. Uh, an athlete, a patient, we have that ability every day and that opportunity every day. It's just what we take of it and what we make of it. So by getting involved, by taking those opportunities, we're going to continue to grow. So down the road, five, 10 years, when you know, life circumstances change and now you are in this position, you're not trying to create relationships you've never created before. You're not trying to change who you are to fit this role because it's not a title it's a characteristic so really get involved grow every day to be the leader that you want to be in 10 years so when that opportunity comes you're prepared you're ready yeah i echo that and even just going you know if any students are listening to this that that is one of my biggest regrets from just coming up through undergrad and graduate school of just not taking opportunities to do these things and get involved like I just feel like I'm behind where I could have been had I been willing to take those leaps and try those things earlier. So don't, if you've got an opportunity, take advantage of it, try it. Worst case scenario, you find out it's not for you, but then you don't have to have that regret of not trying to go and do it. So uh, we preach that to a lot of the students we work with now is, man, I feel like I'm five years behind where I could be because I just left a lot of opportunities unexplored. So couldn't agree more. Um, first question, where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? And if you could kind of set the example. Well, I think in the next five to 10 years, we're going to start to see more and more athletic trainers on hopefully every sideline. Because I think the more national attention get that gets brought to what athletic trainers are tra trained and capable of doing, you're going to, there are going to be people and employers who look at it as nothing more than a safety net, which is fine. That's what we're there for. We're there to protect the, the patient population that we work with, whether that be in the industrial setting, in the dance setting, or in the athletic setting, or in the secondary school setting. So it, it doesn't matter where, but if we're going to be on those sidelines, because we're there to protect the patient population we need, and the more national attention that, the more positive national attention that we can shine towards athletic training and athletic trainers like i think all of that you're gonna start to see a shift and i think the other big shift here too is you know you look at 50 years ago right the parent our parents now or at least my parents now when my dad was playing football he didn't have an athletic trainer acl surgery was an open knee procedure it was it was a whole different world so he didn't have that so his instinct isn't going to be oh, my son's playing football, let me make sure he has an athletic trainer. But now as we have this shift forward with this younger population of you know, kid, people having kids like myself, and I'm not just saying this as an athlete, but you're sure. going to start to see that more and more people know who and what athletic trainers are and what they can do. It's a really and good they're point. Going, they're going to want their kids to have the same that they had. Yep. So the more that we can get athletic trainers into different entities, you're going to start seeing a shift because parents, myself, like I look, I look at my kid's dance studio. The kids don't get hurt at dance a whole lot, but they get hurt at gymnastics. Mm -hmm. Like 
why is there no medical coverage for my daughter's gymnastics? Like, that's, that's the first thing I think of. So as we move forward, you're going to start to see this more and more and more. And I think all of that positive national attention, the fact that parents growing up will have had athletic trainers in their school systems, they will want the same for their children and there will be a greater push than there was 20, 30 years ago to where we are now. I like that perspective. Hadn't really thought of it that way, but you make a lot of really good points. Uh, if you could go back to when you were a younger athletic trainer and if you could set when that would be, what advice would you give yourself? So myself as a younger athletic trainer, I would give the same advice that I was given. Um, I remember sitting in the Kane University Athletic Training Library, basically just a big conference room, but it had a lot of old NATA magazines and books and things like that. And I remember uh, our head athletic trainer at the time, Jay Timothy Sensor, he was the head athletic trainer for Kane University. And the thing that he always told me was be a sponge, right? Soak up as much information that you can get as a student. Soak up as much knowledge as you can get. Put your hands on every injury you are able to evaluate. Offer yourself up to everything that you can do because it's only going to set you up for greater success down the road. Um, if any of my former classmates are watching this, they'll vouch for it. But they, there was a running joke that I, I had brown on my nose. Mm -hmm. I was trying to do everything that I possibly could just to get better. If there was an ankle eval, I wanted to do it. Right. There was a knee eval, I wanted to do it. Now, when there was a back eval as an undergrad student, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> but I had upperclassmen students who saw the initiative that I was trying to take and said, why don't you want to do it? It's just range of motion, strength, point tenderness. Like, it's not as bad as you think it is. And they pushed me to do that because of me trying to get more hands-on experience so put your hands on everything that you can learn everything that you can as a student so when you get to what i call light bulb moments prior and then learn about it and then it all clicks or you may learn about it in class but then six months later you see it on the field or in your setting and it all clicks so the more you can soak up and be a sponge and learn and gather that knowledge and then practice that knowledge, you're going to set yourself up to be more successful down, oh, excuse me, down the road. Absolutely. What has been the most influential resource that you found in your career? I would say mentors, honestly. And I think that, you know, your mentors can change. Um, throughout your throughout your life throughout your career uh, I think we all have mentors for different parts or different seasons of our life um, I remember being an undergrad student and I had a junior senior student who I didn't even realize but went to the same middle school as me so that created just this common connection where she was able to kind of take me under her wing as a freshman sophomore student and she would be the one that would help push me as a, as a student to get my hands on things, to do more things. Then as I, then as I graduated, you know, now we're going into a different phase of life where I'm going into an internship and at this internship, it's kind of more, you're on your own. We're here if you need us. And having that guide, my mentor was a guide at that point to help point me in the right direction, be a resource for me if I had questions or, you know, if I ever felt ultimately scared of what was happening right there because it's, it's all new and fresh. Um, and then shifting into, you know, graduate school, you have your mentor who was a full-time uh, full athletic trainer would be able to sit down with me and meet. We'd be able to talk over our health report, talk over the injuries that we had, go through some of the administrative responsibilities that he was working on so that I could learn those and I could grow from that. And then ultimately, you know, now as, as a professional certified and been certified for six years, I think my mentors are people who are at different institutions, different entities, different states. Um, I mean, my mentor now, he lives in Vermont. We talk, you know, once a month. We met at NATA for the first time. 
but we met through just a men a mentor network and we uh-huh. together. And so I can call him if I'm having issues with work, but also with life. And like it kind of works both ways now at this point, because as he being older than me, I can go to him for athletic training advice. But even though he's older, I've got kids that are older than his kids. So we talk about children and surprisingly, I give a little bit more advice in that aspect. Fair. And so it, it's a really good working network. I consider him a really good friend and someone that I could call any time of the day and provided the mountains aren't blocking his service, he'll answer. <laughs> so I, I think the biggest thing would just be having a mentor, having a resource that you can talk to and bounce ideas off of and ultimately determine which path you're going to take. I like it. Mentors is a very common answer at that, but for good reason. Um, as an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself? Uh, so right off, you know, I think the biggest thing is trying to find times to be present. You know, like I mentioned earlier, there could be days where I'm working 12 hour days because, you know, my soccer practice starts at 730 in the morning, but that's not when we're setting up and taping. We're taping at 645 setups at six. I'm getting into the office at 545, but then tennis doesn't practice until one o'clock in the afternoon. They go until three th- 345. And then they have lift after that. So now we're looking at five. So again, it's a long day. And so the biggest thing that I've tried to do is try to find time to be present and just turn my phone off, not off, but put it off to the side, put it on do not disturb and really just kind of disconnect from work. So it's not a 24 seven access. Um, And I think in the collegiate setting, you know, there's kind of that mindset of, oh, I can just text my athletic trainer anytime I want. But in what other profession can you text the doctor 24-7? It's very far and few between. Um, and you may not even get a person. So <laughs> that's the biggest thing is I've tried to set that ability to just put my phone off on the side, do not disturb, and be present for my family, for my kids. Um, my daughters love to play with Barbie dolls. I've gotten really good at doing Barbie hair. Um, nice. <laughs> Uh, so we, the, the, we play fetch with our dogs. They love running back and forth. They like to chase the dogs who chase the ball. And then they, they bring the ball back to me. Um, but outside of that, again, also having set times for things. Um, and it, again, this is a side note, but a personal challenge is me and my ex-wife were divorced. So I don't always get that quality time that I would normally have with my children. So trying to make the most of yep. those opportunities and that's probably the most rewarding thing for myself personally is just the time that I get with my family. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think we have to be doing, at least for myself, we don't have to be doing something. We don't have to be going here or doing that, but just being present and being able to spend time with those that I love is probably the biggest way that I take care of myself. I could sit and watch my girls play with their Barbie house for three hours and be happy. Absolutely. Um, then also again reading but that just goes into that back to that professional development component finding books for things that i feel like i'm weak in or that might be interesting to me and then reading those books trying to grow i've got a i'm sure we all do but i've got a stack of books that i say i'm going to read and haven't gotten to them yet um but i've got two that i'm finishing up now which i'm excited to get done so reading journaling just trying to trying to get the you know emotions out and things and just clear the mind when I'm home to be present for family. Yeah. My Amazon wish list is I think over 300 now. So, you know, we're probably never going to actually get there, but we'll see what happens. $300 or 300 books, 300 books. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think my significant other would probably have a problem if I just tried to clear that out real quick. When you, when you buy the books though, you got to make sure you buy the bookshelf because you're going to need somewhere to put it. (laughs) Yes, Absolutely. That is the one goal in life is have a sweet bookshelf set up. Um, you kind of referenced this a little, little bit, but we'll let you expand on it if you would like to. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, a mindset in the field of athletic training, what would it be? I think the mindset that I would eliminate is that we as athletic trainers have to be available 24-7. Um, it's very easy to, you know, just I'm going to speak from my own perspective. I, I work with 35 student athletes. 
um, within my billing and insurance role, there are numbers of student athletes that I don't work with, but I have had to communicate with on a recurring basis regarding a bill or working out a coordination of benefits. So there are probably at least hundreds of athletes right now that have my cell phone number. Sure. And at any given point, because you're dealing with 18 to 24, 25 year olds, depending on where they are in their college career, post or present, uh, they could just text you at any given point in time <laughs> or call you at any given point in time. And so what I think is the biggest thing is we have to be able to set boundaries. We, every other, every other job, every other profession has boundaries. So we need to be able to individually set those. When I was younger in my career, okay, you want to text me at two o'clock in the morning? If I'm up, I'll answer it. But now I've let my student athletes know that if you're texting me after eight o'clock, it's an emergency. If it's not an emergency, you're not getting an answer. Right. If it's an emergency, you need to call me because I'm probably not going to look at the first text. So, but again, setting that boundary, setting that expectation for them, they don't now don't have an issue with. It. But if I don't set that, they're going to, they're not going to assume that I have a problem with it because of just the current age that we live in. So we have to be able to set a boundary that whatever that may be for us personally, but that also allows us to continually do our job, but sets that example. And like, I, I was actually talking about this, you know, last night, if a, if a student athlete calls me at two o'clock in the morning and says, I'm going to the emergency room, I've got to go to the emergency room with that student athlete. That's an, that's an emergency situation. But the reason that I say that is because that kid may be thousands of miles away from home or from a different country. And, you know, my job is to be the healthcare provider for this kid to act as a pseudo parent. Like I can only imagine if my kid at two o'clock in the morning, eight, 10 States away or countries away told me they were going to the emergency room and I couldn't go help them. So in those situations, I'm going to go at two o'clock in the morning to sit with your kid at the hospital because I want to make sure one, that they're okay, but then also that the parent knows they're okay. Because again, I just think for myself personally, that's a little bit different of a situation, but I would want someone to do the same for me. Last question. What does being an athletic trainer mean to you? For me, it's, it's being a resource, um, being able to build those relationships with the patient population that I work with, the student athletes, safe place for the athletes to come uh, and let their guard down and just be themselves. Um, because there's a lot of times they have a lot of pressure amongst them from coaches, from their teammates, from academics, whatever it may be. And then maybe they're dealing with an injury. They need a place where they can just let their guard down. So being able to be there for them, like I mentioned earlier, through those high points and those low points, um, we're there for it all. We're there for the good. We're there for the bad. Just being able to work with them and then see them return to the sport that they came here to play or the thing that they love to do is probably the most rewarding part. And I think that's the thing that keeps getting me going every day within the tedious little things that come up is knowing that in four weeks, I'm going to have a guy return to sport after having surgery in January, like, and seeing his progress every day. Um, I remember having a student athlete when I was with working with softball, she came in with hip problems. We had to shut her down for six weeks. Then she had some off the field issues. Then we had surgery because we finally got a new image that said she had a label issue. And then we returned to sport and 10 months after she got to college as a freshman, she pitched in her first game. And I mean, that was probably working with her day in and day out was so rewarding to see all of that pay off for her, knowing all the hard work that she put in behind the scenes that no one else saw. The two-a-day rehab she was doing on top of the weightlifting that we were doing on top. So seeing all of that is truly why I do what I do. And I think we, the majority of us do athletic training is we want to work with our patient population to help them recover and get back to the thing they want to do. I like it. Well said. Kind of just to wrap up, if people wanted to follow you, connect with you, 
reach out, what would be the best place for them to do that? And we will link all this up on the episode page. So the best places, uh, right? My personal uh, Twitter is B underscore Joseph Mazeski. Instagram's the same thing. They're both public. Y'all can follow me or creep on me all you want. Um, and then just to plug our sports medicine pages, uh, Twitter is GS underscore sports med. And it's the same for uh, Instagram, GS underscore sports med. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, just jotting those down so I don't forget um, to just kind of share your perspective on this and kind of the leadership, such an important concept uh, within the athletic training profession and just everything that goes into it. So really appreciate you uh, connecting and taking the time to be on the show. No, Joel, absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was great, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, I look forward to connecting with you again in the future and seeing where everything hands out. Maybe by that time you'll have all the rest of the sports covered um, at, at Georgia Southern. No, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Athletic Training Chat with Brian Mizeski. Talking about leadership everywhere, it's such an important concept and something that everybody needs to hopefully understand that you can be a leader, even if the position doesn't necessarily demanded by title or anything like that. So hopefully you took a lot away from that. Um, as always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please check them out as you're getting towards the end of the year. Maybe you got some budget spent out. You're just checking out the Revive Recovery System at our Wisconsin Athletic Trainers Association. It's a great product, uh, affordable, uh, very, very competitive, uh, really a lot of science put into it. So check that out. Also, we just got out this week, the week of April 24th, the Athletic Training Daily Journal. If that's something that you're interested in, you can find it on Amazon. Links in all of our social media or at clinicallypress.org in the shop if you want a PDF version. We're really excited to get that out and hope that it provides benefit to people. And with that, we'll catch you next episode.